When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. These are the Keishi Tapes. You, Man, and Favaz explore the backstories and interviews heard on Keishi, the longest-running rock station in the country. It's time for another edition of the Keishi Tapes. I'm John Eulett. You can follow me on Twitter at STLUman and on Instagram at Johnny Eulett. And my partner is Favaz, Keishi Guy, Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, Casey 95 Favaz, clear as mud. Thank you. <laughs> what is this, episode 21? I believe it is. 21. 21. Today we have the Motor City Madman, Sweaty Teddy, the Nuge. Ted Nugent. Ted Nugent. What else do they call him? Uh, did you say the Motor City Madman? Yeah, I did. I oh, did okay. that. okay. All right. You don't hear any sweaty Teddy much anymore. No, Uncle Ted. Uncle Sometimes Ted, you'll yeah. hear Uncle Ted. <laughs> Uncle Ted. Uh, I would hate it if you were my uncle, but uh, you yeah, know. yeah. Well, uh, if you've been around long enough. You got that many nicknames. You've you've done something right. Yes. Now, Ted has always been a part of KC ninety five. Well, I, I wouldn't. He didn't go back to sixty seven, but probably sixty nine, seventy ish, somewhere in that area. Started with the Amboy Dukes, I would think. Yeah, yeah. And he uh, he's quite the character, and he's been interviewed on this radio station many times oh, over the years. Countless times. The earliest one that I remember <clears throat> was probably 77, 78, something like that. Uh, he came to the studio out there in Crestwood, and Mark Close interviewed him. And uh, he was talking about spider webs in the, in the, in the corners of the room. He's you know, making fun of the dump, you know. Right, a, right, right, a, right. Little building out there in Crestwood. And, and he was funny. He was mm-hmm. funny. And he, and he is funny now. He's also obviously very controversial. Yes, he is. Some people hate his guts. No matter what he says, they don't find it funny. But I think if you're in the middle and you're saying, I'm not, I'm not going to punish him for his political thoughts uh, or anything he's done in the past. I'm just a supporter of his music and his ability to entertain. I think if you're down the middle, you've got to admit, at the very minimum, he's entertaining. Absolutely. And this interview shows it because he yeah. talks about Casey in St. Louis. So there's no... As far as I can remember, no uh, political rantings on his part, and you know he always goes on a rant. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like, but but on on this one he doesn't, and it's from uh, 2007. Uh, he this is his Hall of Fame, Casey Hall of Fame uh, induction interview. He came in that day. Do you Where remember? was this done? This was done in the old Casey studio back okay. in the powerhouse. And uh, do you remember when we used to do those? Uh, uh, request-a-thons for the Ronald McDonald House. Yeah. He happened to be in town for an NRA thing, and uh, we got him to come on you know, the radio that afternoon. He stayed for like two hours. Oh, yeah. He loves and it. And he, he played uh, Great White Buffalo on guitar in front of me. I, I was just blown away because Ted was my hero, my guitar hero, back when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. And I had met him before, but uh, to have him on my show and yeah. doing those things was incredible. So during songs, you know, a big block of songs, whatever, we did this interview. This yeah. interv- Interview, and this part never made it on to the radio. It just made it on to the uh, Real Rock Hall of Fame uh, online. 
and uh, that's where we got it from. He was also your hero back in the day when you used to wear a loincloth. Yes, and, I, and yes, so my loin loincloth has it. since been retired as his. Yes. So. All right, ready? Ready. Here we go. Ted Nugent. Oh, by the way, oh. so I'm real low in this interview for those people listening, so you might have to turn it up a little bit. Ted is at normal volume, but I'm not really on a microphone, as before. Favage here. Oh, you can embrace the listener through the cool. wall. Go ahead. I embrace. Right. Say Pafaz here? <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, I can't really right tell. Oh, okay. So, right. Come back. Come back. Uh, all right, we're ready? All right. So, Ted, what's your reaction on being elected into the Keishi Real Rock Hall of Fame? Well, you know, I have a great spiritual connection with Keishi because that baptismal eruption in 1967 that really happened in... Detroit on WABX, in Boston on WBCN. By the and way, I believe w, there was one. In, by the way, WABX was our sister station in Detroit when Century Broadcasting owned Casey up until 1983. And he's got a great memory. I mean, if you, you know, this stuff right here yeah. from 1960, you know, he remembers this stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he was never addicted to drugs, he was addicted to sex. Yes. We'll get to San that later. Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> Promise? <laughs> <laughs> Call letters evade me right now, but Casey was that first initial throb of uninhibited free-for-all rock and roll radio. And I was here 40 years ago when that happened, so I've always referenced St. Louis and this whole heartland with Casey Radio. So to be inducted into the Casey Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, I believe that this is probably an honest Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It probably doesn't have... Um, Clicks. Uh, who was who, some of the numbnuts they put in here recently? <laughs> oh, uh, I can't even think of Flash. Oh, oh, those, those kind of Flash, Flash Dad, Jay Flash and Master J, and some some dirty hippie that. Oh, uh, Patty Smith. You probably won't have Patty Smith in yours unless you have a court jester section. <laughs> now, um, now, now, I I agree with him not because she's uh, in his words a dirty hippie, right. but because I just don't think she belongs in the Rock and Roll Hall. No, of Fame. I don't either. She 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 had a hit with a Bruce Springsteen song, right? And. That was it. Yeah, I don't get the, was, I don't get the influence that she's had. But no, but if you yeah. talk to some bands, they're like, oh yeah, Patty Smith. Ooh, buh. But yeah, to hear Ted talk about it's pretty. And he also said numbnuts, and you never hear numbnuts very much. <laughs> Those good old phrases from the seventies. What's up, numbnuts? <laughs> but being that as it may, I am truly honored. I am moved because the circle shall go unbroken. Chuck Berry started it here. I genuflected at the altar of Chuck Berry and all his musical genius that inspired this whole thing. And to be so recognized as a son of Chuck Berry in St. Louis on Casey is a moment of pride and glory. God bless the Casey dream, baby. Man, like I said, yeah. he is entertaining. He can spin a yarn. He can yeah. spin a phrase. He, uh, he, he, Again, you love him, you hate him. But uh, the dude can articulate a point. And what he just articulated there was couldn't be oh, more true. Yeah. Chuck Berry started it all, really. It, it was eloquent. Yes. Yeah, you, don't use many, you don't use that word very often when you're talking about Ted. Yes. But, uh, but, but what he was talking about was, you know, Chuck and his lyrical prowess that he had with his songs. And he played yeah. guitar. Ted played almost the same kind of guitar that Chuck yeah. did. It was a hollow body guitar. And, you know, and, and his lyrics, some of Ted, Wang Dang Sweet Poon Tang. Yeah. That's a funny song. Yeah. That, you know? Well, Chuck Berry, My Ding-A-Ling. Yeah, you know? right. Exactly. That's probably where he got Wang Dang Sweet <laughs> Poon Tang from.
right, uh, one big concert I remember you playing, Super Jam 77, the old Bush Stadium. Yeah, the old Bush Stadium. Mario Speedwagon. And, of course, that was the release of Cat Scratch Fever. Do you remember that? I I remember it well, yes. I remember it. You know, I had performed at every stadium concert when they first started that whole concept. And I've always loved the intimacy of a club, and that's where the Amboy Duke started and where you only had to play when you first start. And so you look in people's eyes, and you kind of get the feedback, you get that emotion, you get that spontaneity, you get that primal scream, eyeball to eyeball. Hence the name of one of his albums. A flesh-to-flesh sweat (laughs) communication going. However, the only thing better than that is when you have 80,000 people doing the same thing, and you're not only able to look at the people in the front row and get that Wang Dang Street Poon Tang thing going because it was hot and sunny and my you're dressed in yeah. barely visible attire. And, and Ted Ted yeah. gets jacked up on stage. Oh, I'm sorry. He, does. he gets jacked up on stage and uh, when he's in Nashville, occasionally uh, he will uh, address a certain uh, portion of the audience. You I mean Nashville you know. pussy? Yeah. Yes, from Double Live Gonzo. I remember well. I used to play it all the time, John. But when accidentally, he's, but, I'd accidentally play it on air. I know I'll you did. <laughs> I've heard that story from Ray Collier before, but but he's just saying, "Oh my, look at you! You're you're barely dressed in your in your whatever." That's what he's talking about. Because Ted played some huge festivals with yeah. huge amounts of people, and he's talking about Bush Stadium back in 1977. Okay. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, him. yeah, you yeah, interrupted his. Uh, Way to back it up a little. No, no, you. I don't know. Yeah, just back it up. Okay, just a he, little bit. He was talking about the girls in the front row barely visible attire and you look so charming that way uh, you get that plus the magnification of this sea of humanity where all the clenched fists and all the howling laughing smiling faces and the dancing are absolute an extension of the music and the rhythms that you're playing on stage i remember it well and those were historical landmarks in fact we still do concerts with ario speedwagon and with heart and with aerosmith and with Cheap Trick, which which were the nucleus of those concerts back then. And we all talk about that kind of stuff, specifically about the Bush Stadium concerts. So, yes, I was a lucky man to be a part of that. Talk about the relationship. Uh, now, it doesn't exist so much. Now, I remember being at that concert. I wasn't. That. No? Yeah. That's where I first heard of Ted, because I, I think my next-door neighbor went, and he had a copy of the Cat Scratch Fever vinyl. I was like, who's Ted Nugent? And yeah. he kind of told me, oh, I just saw him at Bush Stadium. Yeah, it was brutally, brutally hot that day. Yeah. And, of course, we were on the turf. You know, they, they still right. had the artificial oh, yeah, turf. Man, yeah, and they the did. heat was just, uh, it, it, the place was an oven. Who, who was the old baseball guy that, uh, I think it was uh, uh, Stacy. Uh, uh, uh. Anyways, they asked him, they came, he came here uh, for uh, uh, for an all-star game here at mm-hmm. Bush Stadium. It was 65 or something, right after it opened. And he said, what do you think of the new Bush Stadium here? He goes, well, it holds the heat well. Right, because he had to change his shoes or something like that? No, or that, was Willie, no, oh, that was Willie McGee who was oh, talking that was, about oh, that, okay. I think. But anyway, yeah, the, the place was just a concrete oven, and then they put plastic grass in. Right. So it was just, just right. brutal that day. Right. But, uh, yeah, the show went off, but a lot of people were taken to the hospital. New artists now, but, you know, you go back with Casey 40 years. Talk about the relationship between artists and radio station. How those, in your day, those, are, those relationships were really... Casey Stengel. Thanks. That was the name I was trying to I was wait, waiting on that. <laughs> Developed and, and, and nurtured along the way. It's with a jaundiced eye 
that a tear <laughs> flows down my rosy cheek. A, ja- we, a, jaundiced. a jaundiced eye. So that means a yellow eye. <laughs> that a tear flows down his cheek. Where in the hell is he going? Remembering that there actually was a relationship between an artist who so cherished the authenticity and integrity of the musical vision they collaborate to provide and the radio stations that assisted in conveying that musical collaboration that it doesn't exist today is an indictment to the soullessness of the music industry wow that's powerful that was a long that was a long time ago too people still feel that way about it yeah but 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 yeah Mm-hmm. What was the year of this interview again? Yeah, this was in 07. 07. Mm-hmm. There was a time where the people at the record store loved the music, and the people at the radio station loved the music, and the artists loved the music, and the promoters loved the music. And when all those professional business entities collaborated on a professional, responsible level, the people who loved the music and for the most part were the inspiration for the music would have it on all levels. The creator, the artist, the, the, rec, the radio station that conveyed it and celebrated it over the airwaves, the music store that didn't just sell it but celebrated in window displays and the, the guy behind the counter knew the lyrics and knew the song and knew the artist and the promoter who wanted it, not just because they sold tickets, but they really liked the spirit and the attitude of the music. It was a huge musical family. And yeah, I, he's, I, he's right. He's totally right. Definitely right. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it changed once... Just once, once people started figuring out what was happening, and how this music was being received, and what was possible in terms of being able to make money, right. things things Rich, spun out of control. Rich Robinson of the to, Black Crows was just here, and he said he blames everything on the banks. Mm, well, <laughs> things spun out of control to the point where the artists became secondary, and the fans became secondary, and the most important thing became the money. Right. How much could the promoter make? How much could the record company make? Record companies always had their hands in there, even in the early sure. days. Yeah. But boy, once they started finding out what they had and this genre was starting to evolve and become spectacular, it uh, it's it um, it lost heart. It lost soul. Mm-hmm. I'm spoiled rotten because all those elements, yeah, they're commercial entities and they're corporate entities, but you can't get potatoes without somebody bringing the potatoes to the store. You got to be able to sell the potatoes if you want to have some good potato food. You can't have good rock and roll if the guys who make it and the guys that deliver it and the guys that sell it and the guys that play it live all work together so that people get the whole wad. But there was a difference then. The music erupted spontaneously and genuinely honestly from those black artists that inspired Aerosmith and and the Stones and the Beatles and Elvis and the Yardbirds and Led Zeppelin and everybody. And certainly the Ted Nugent Band and certainly the Amboy Dukes and certainly Cheap Trick and certainly Hart and certainly Ario. Those original black artists and their honest emotion was the fiber, was the glue that, that... molded that music into a into a meaningful commodity for the people who wanted that emotion and that primal scream and the soundtrack that went with it. I'm sorry to say that uh, many artists, only the guilty need to feel guilty. You still have absolute virtuosos like Joe Bonamassa, Christina Aguilera. You still got guys like even uh, Velvet Revolver. They love the music. 
They're going to play the music that's in their heart, and if it sells, great. But they want the collaboration of those business entities to help maximize the vehicle by which the music can be conveyed. You can't put gas in your tank if you don't sell some potatoes. So, yeah, those, I can tell you, those were the good old days. And even though I'm, I'm having the greatest tours of my life today, it's almost, and again, only the guilty need to feel guilty, but it's almost in spite of the fragmentation. There is no bond between music stores and radio stations and promoters and artists anymore. Back then it was a bond. When there was a concert in town, the radio station played that artist's music, played that art, played the song all the time. There was a window display at the at retail level. The concert promoter loved it, so we made sure he coordinated with those two. And the artist came in and felt home because everybody was celebrating his art form, and then more people showed up, and everybody won. Nowadays, I do radio interviews at some places in this country, and while I'm doing interviews, they're playing somebody else's music. Well, that's just chimp-like. I mean, you have to be like a, you know, an offshoot of a orangutan not to see how rude that is. So true, but but you agreed to do the interview, Ted. Right. I mean, you had to know going in whether or not it was a. Right. I think he's talking mainly about talk stations where he'll do a lot of interviews, and they can't play music, and they have their music beds already worked out, and they come in and out of their segments. He could be, and that's he, I think he's probably but, referring to but that. But what he's saying though is so true, and it's it's unfortunate that the younger crowd didn't get to experience what you and I have experienced, what he was talking about, that, you know, somebody puts out a song and the radio station loves it. And then you can buy it at the music store and the music store person there knows it. And, you know, they come to town and the, the promoter wants to get mm-hmm. involved. And it's just, he's, yeah. he's, he's talking real here. Oh, there's well, a disconnect today that breaks my heart, but there's still enough of a camaraderie and a, and a unification that I find, especially today at Keishi, a hundred years later, that you can find often enough to buoy your spirit and to solidify the delivery of the music that is such an enriching part of all of our lives. Music is the soundtrack for the human experience. And if you can't optimize it and maximize the professional delivery thereof, nobody wins. So I, I, I relish those days and I, I mine, M-I-N-E, I mine and cultivate that connection today and it's still available but it takes an awful lot of effort he's right yeah you know and and uh it's nice that he has those things to say about Keishi because even you know now the way things are we still are tight with you know the artists that have been around a long time mm-hmm. i mean it's great to to ask ted nugent or kevin cronin of Ario or sammy hagar you know people that have had long relationships with the radio station hey do you remember this do you remember playing here and to hear their stories is great yeah you know well, he's also referring to days when the artists were able to make mistakes not have a successful release and 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 uh, record companies gave them a little more space right. back then to evolve as musicians and as writers and uh you know now there's times? no investment there's no investment from no. the re- from the record yeah. companies hey you know you make one crappy album you're gone you're done you're done yeah. and uh yeah it was, it was an innocent time you know it was an innocent time well the art form was still uh, being invented and, and evolving it's to the point now where i think they got it down to such a such a um formula mm-hmm. that uh there i don't know how you put the heart back in it you know you just can't you're gonna you're gonna have to go to uh um, something uh, that we don't that we're not familiar with, uh, like like there there are internet radio stations where they'll play all kind of eclectic music, but right. but they don't catch on. They don't have uh, any kind of uh, influence in in the business because you can't they can't garner enough listenership to to make it right um, work. 
So I don't know how it comes, how it goes back to what te- the days that Ted would love it to go back to, but uh, it's, not, I, it's but the, not going to. But the, the yeah. good thing about it is there are stations like Casey, and I'm, we're tooting our own horn here. Uh, you can listen on the app. You can listen on the Internet. And we're one of those stations that still, while we're evolving and we're doing social media and we're doing podcasts and things like that, it's still old school to a certain extent to, you know, we still play Ted Nugent. And when Ted comes down and if he wants to come in, well, we would be more than happy to have him. You know, it's those kind of things. And we still have a free-form radio show on the air on Sunday mornings, Casey Classic Show, where you play whatever we And we still play records on Sunday night, the seventh day. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Full albums. Yeah. So we're we're still trying. Is this over with? No. Keep going. One final serious question. How many chicks have you banged in St. Louis? Um, 18,000. Just St. Louis. That's (laughs) 22,600. And that was last week. I've never fucked. I just don't fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you heard that. Oh, my God. All right. So, so. That whole thing at the end. <laughs> Hold on a second. Yeah. Ted, Ted, like I said, he he was known for having a sex addiction with really young girls yeah. rather than, you know, he never smoked pot or anything like that. I, I almost brought that up when he was talking about the girls in the front row of the concert. Right. So that's he... why I, I asked that question at the yeah. end, because I just wanted to see what kind of reaction I would get. But if you remember the first time I met Ted Nugent, and it was a thrill, it was the time that he brought the cassette from... Uh, Fred Bear. Do you remember Fred Bear? Yes. The first time yeah. that we ever heard it was from him. And Smash was doing the mornings and you were. And uh, I had I was driving Ted Nugent back to his hotel in my Cavalier that day. And it was the, the freakiest thing. It was mm-hmm. just weird. Carl uh, Middleman, the, the yeah. intern, was there. And, and Ted was all over our intern, who was like 15, 16. Yeah. And I don't remember her name. When you say all over, like what, what was said? He, he was firing on her. And in fact, uh, maybe not then, but it was when he came back for uh, the damn Yankees, he was all over. That, that's, that's what it was. And she, she put him in his place. What'd she say? She said she wasn't interested. She, no. you know, and, and, and I Good guess, yeah. And this was, uh, yeah, it had to have been 1991. So it was right, right at that time that, that she would have been an intern. And I can't remember her name. And she was super cool. But it just, you know, years later, when you hear about Ted and his uh, affinity for younger women and stuff, yeah. well, it kind of makes sense. And that was that was Ted's big thing. He was not a drug addict. He didn't drink, but he loved young girls. Yeah, that's uh, unfortunate. Uh, yeah, he uh, he also had his issues uh, back in the day, too, during the Vietnam War. Now, that's it's disputed, but supposedly he uh, dodged the draft. Yeah. Bragged about it back in the late 70s hmm. about how he was going to go to the uh, the draft board and he was going to make them not want him. Oh. So he didn't bathe for a long period of time, made himself smell, he urinated, <laughs> supposedly they defecated in his really? pants or whatever. And like 20 years later he said, "No, that didn't happen. I was just I was just entertaining myself with that story." Oh. So, but and when knows? it comes to Ted, he might have been. I don't know. Might have. But he did not serve. And he did find a way out of the Vietnam mm. War. You know, uh, having him in that day uh, was great. It was, like I said, he was he was one of those uh, guys for me. I used to have his posters on my wall. And then years later, I met him down in Cabo uh, with Sammy Hagar because he came mm-hmm. to, he would come down for Sammy's birthday gigs and stuff like that. And 
he actually remembered me, and he, he I'll never forget the one time I, I came up to him, he goes, Favaz, you handsome son of a bitch, Where, how, how you been? <laughs> <laughs> and that was funny. just so funny, and it, it's, it's uh, you know, you say what you want about him, but like you said, he's very entertaining, he has a um, a great way with words of, of yeah. sometimes it gets him in trouble, Sure, you know, but uh, when you're talking about music, there there isn't much better than Ted yeah, Nugent. Yeah, and he knows his music and his music <laughs> he history. Yes, he does. Yeah, he is a fan of the music industry and, yep. and, and musicians. And uh, in, in, the, in those, did you have like any intimate settings where you're just sitting around having a beer with him? Uh, yeah, I, out at the amphitheater I did for Damn Yankees and stuff and what like that. What does he talk about? Um, I, d- I honestly you don't, don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. Really? All right. Well, uh, he uh, he was very entertaining here. We have other interviews with Ted Nugent from the past, too, on other. Right. And we have other interviews that you can see online right now at KC95.com in the Real Rock Hall of Fame. Part of that interview that you just heard is there. That's the whole thing. You know, it gets edited. That's the that's the whole interview. So if you want to check out the, you know. I think you should just listen. You've heard what you've heard right here. Yeah, you, don't that thing, you don't need to. Yeah. yeah. But the the Hall of Fame, the Casey uh, Real Rock is Hall cool. of Fame is very, is very, really, very really impressive. Cool. So. All right. Thanks for checking this out again today. Our uh, 21st episode of the Casey Tapes. We'll try to keep it going, man. Uh, don't know what's next week, but uh, we'll be rummaging through. We'll figure our, it out. Yeah, we'll, we're, we're still doing A-listers. we we'll, got plenty to go. We'll th- thumb through our uh, interviews and keep finding stuff for you. I'm John Hewlett. You can follow me on Twitter at STLUman and on Instagram at Johnny Hewlett. Favaz, Casey Guy, Instagram, Twitter, Casey 95 Favaz, Facebook. Adios. Adios. My friend. You're as bad as Ted. (laughs) No. The Casey Tapes with you, man, and Favaz. For more on the history of Casey, go to Casey95.com or the Casey mobile app. Peloton, let's go! This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home-trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.